if a new paramedic were listening or one of your graduates from your program where you teach, if you were to gift them a book, what's the one book you would send them, do you think? Can I cheat and exclude my graduates because I make all my graduates read this book? This is actually a book I think you're going to really appreciate me mentioning because we've had conversations about it before. I mean, this one feels like a slam dunk for me. Um, Mm. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke, and this is the second episode in a series called Mixtape. In this series, three guests are asked the same question, so the listener gets to hear three perspectives on one topic. In the first mixtape episode, the guests were asked about their very first ride-along. It was a big hit with paramedic students anticipating their ride-outs, and the preceptors who listened were reminded of the pivotal role they play in students' journey. In this episode, three guests, one emergency medicine physician, one flight nurse, and one paramedic all answer this question. What's the one book you'd recommend to a brand new paramedic? Many Medic Mindset listeners are readers, or they want to read more, and they often ask for book recommendations. And I know so many readers that picking guests for this episode was next to impossible. So ultimately, I decided to pick these three because all three had one thing in common. All three of them gave me a book the very first time we met in person. When we discuss what book they'd recommend to a new paramedic, I also had a chance to ask them about the book they gifted me, and other topics like the most influential book they've ever read, or how they consume their books, hard copy or e-readers or audiobooks. I asked them if there is a book that they go back to over and over again for inspiration. If you want to hear those full interviews, you can hear them now in a batch of episodes I've released called Reading. I want to introduce these three guests in the order in which you'll hear them. First, you're going to hear from flight nurse Nisa Hathaway. She's the co-host of a podcast for emergency medicine nurses called the Q-Word Podcast. She's been a friend of the podcast for a very long time, such a good friend that I once asked her to take over Medic Mindset using an episode that she created and I called The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. The second guest is paramedic Michael Herbert. He and I first connected over Twitter when he helped me translate a tweet from a listener in Germany. He and I share a love for human behavior and cognitive science, and we have been swapping book recommendations for years now. And then lastly, you're going to hear from emergency medicine physician and EMS educator, Dr. Maya Dorsett. She was the guest on the Thinking Lift Assist episode. She and I share an ideology about educating paramedics and an ideology about the future of EMS. She puts these core values into words better than I've ever been able to. And that is why she is the first back-to-back guest in almost five years of podcasting. I simply can't get enough of her, and I hope she's on many episodes to come. Let's dig in. We'll start with Nisa. All right, so you are a flight nurse, and you're a emergency department nurse. Mm -hmm. You are a flight nurse preceptor. Mm -hmm. You work with paramedics. Mm Mm-hmm. What book would you gift a new paramedic? I mean, this one feels like a slam dunk for me. Um, Mm. I'm going to give A Thousand Naked Strangers. Oh, really? Because it's fun to read? Yeah. And as I recall, you recommended that one to me. Um, I don't doubt that I did because, okay, I'll let you talk first. You you got me excited. (laughs) 
Yeah, so it, it feels like a slam dunk because I'm in the Atlanta area and that book takes place in the Atlanta area. So it's it's hospitals that we go to, it's streets that we know, it's our people. But there's also a universality to it that it doesn't matter because our people are your people. The calls that he ran and talks about are going to be the same calls that other people run. And it's a book that is written by a guy who was a medic in the Atlanta area for a very high volume, high acuity, fast pace service. He goes from absolute greenie to EMT to medic to experienced, one of the most experienced in his group, and then to burnout and leaving the profession. So it's um, some ways it's, it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's, written in the memoir format. And one of the reasons why I really love it is because he is a journalist. Before he went into paramedicine and then when he left paramedicine, journalism and writer. So it's very well written. It's a beautifully written book. He's got such a such a way with words. I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Unfortunately, a lot of the memoir style books written by nurses and physicians and paramedics I tell some good stories, but just not, they're just not great writers, but that's not the case for him. Yep. That was that I knew you were going to, um, I suspected you were going to say that because I can think of my, you know, the typical medic out in the field right now, let's say they've been doing it for three to five years. I don't, I don't know that 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 genre is really what they want to be reading, right? They're mm-hmm. doing it. They're mm-hmm. literally in the middle of doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think my question was, what would you give to a new paramedic? Mm-hmm. And I think I think you're spot on that this is a great book for a new paramedic or a paramedic that's, you know, now, you know, we're out in the field, but now they're not in the field anymore. Mm-hmm. And because that's when I enjoyed it. It was once I left the field. I don't think I would have wanted to read it while I was out running calls also because he recounts calls and it just feels like work. Right. But once you're done, reading it reminds you and gives words to your experience. You're totally right. His, Kevin Hazard is who wrote it and mm-hmm. he is a phenomenal writer. What I liked about it when I went to it was I had read a bunch of these memoirs, EMS memoirs, as I was entering the field just to try to kind of understand the culture and the language and what, what were people's values and things like that. And they were good. They, they kind of got me some indoctrination, but then I had long since given up the genre, but this thing, it hit such a mass market. I was like, huh, I really need to check this out. When the first couple of pages, I'm just highlighting stuff and like, whoa, that is putting to, it's about putting to words things that I had felt, um, that, that he was able to articulate in a way that I had not been able to do for myself. And it was, it was really uh, useful. Yeah. Some of the things that he hits on that spoke to me like that, he says, um, well, they're just the title, a thousand naked strangers. These people invite you into their most intimate, their bedrooms, their bathrooms, they're naked. And here you are with a front row seat and they are handing over all of their vulnerability to you and expecting, you know, or their family is. And, and expecting you to, to help and to fix them. And he talks about if you spend enough time around lunatics, their normal slowly becomes your normal. If that <laughs> is not emergency medicine in a sentence, and then he says, uh, know your protocols, don't ever second guess yourself, and never let them see you sweat. And 
I love that idea of that you have to know your stuff, but when you mm-hmm. go in there, you have to be the one, even if you're freaking out, you have to, they're freaking out. It's their emergency and you have to be the calming force. Man, sometimes that's really hard. He also does a lot of discussing about the partner relationship mm-hmm. and that is so key. It will make or break your your shift, your your career sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he do, he spends a lot of time talking about partners and good ones and bad ones and great ones. And that's something kind of unique to us. Yes. It is amazing how much job kind of happiness, satisfaction comes from your partner, right? You think it'd be the job and the patients and your bosses, but really uh, you can be miserable or really happy at work based on who's right beside you. Yeah. Another reason I like this recommendation that you picked. I didn't think you were going to, I did, I would not have guessed you were going to pick this book, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's the right, I think it's a good answer. It was, a, there were, this was a hard category. I had a lot of options. But another reason I think it might be a good recommendation is that paramedics, when they first leave school, what have they been reading? They've been reading textbooks, right? Or required reading. And now it's like their first opportunity to read whatever they want. If they've been turned off to reading, hopefully this would turn them back on to reading and and remember or learn for the first time that reading can be relaxing, a happy kind of thing Mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. I was going to try to find a passage of his, just just a particular passage of his really excellent writing to kind of read as an example, like here's proof that he's just such a good writer. And the passages were like (laughs) the explanation of a guy at the bus stop with like a a rotting face that has maggots in it, but it's like beautifully written (laughs) or like this woman who's had a horrific miscarriage and the products of conception. Like it it just like beautifully written Mm -hmm. these horrific things, but you're just there with him because he does such a great job of writing it. But that's what he does. The first couple of pages I think it's maybe the the introduction or the prologue. I don't remember the format, but he talks about gossip. I think he used the word gossamer or it's like um, um, gossamer is like thin lace, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how that's over the kind of the vision of his memories, how they're a little clouded. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, That's that's how I remember them as well. They're just, they're all a little fuzzy. And that visual, I was like, oh, I really relate to that. And here's paramedic Michael Herbert. This is actually a book I think you're going to really appreciate me mentioning because we've had conversations about it before, but it's by the author Carol Dweck and it's Mindset. I do love that book. And it if you look at that book, the font and everything I think I used a very similar font for Medic Mindset's logo because mm. that book was a huge inspiration for starting this podcast. Do you mind if I maybe reverse the roles here for a minute and ask you to speak on it? I think, you know, your listeners, I would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on this. Sure. So Carol Dweck wrote a book called Mindset. In that book, she compares basically two different approaches to learning One is a fixed mindset. One is a growth mindset. It's really a lot about self-talk. This is a book that my mom gave me. I don't talk. I haven't talked a ton about my mom on the on the show, but she dedicated her life to studying self-talk in young learners, so elementary age learners. Hmm. Uh, She would sit and observe kindergartners working through problems. And the cool thing about kindergartners is they talk out loud. Uh, They, sorry, they think out loud. So what you and I've 
moved into our own kind of quiet self-talk inside our head. They just blab on and on as they're doing tasks. And some of them talk really nicely to themselves. And then some of them are not nice. And some of them are their own cheerleader, right? And she made it her area. She's a PhD educational psychologist. She made it her area to kind of identify was did positive self-talk translate to better, you know, performance, academic performance. And it would be no surprise to anyone listening that it did. So this was a book that she gave me and it's, it's similar to that concept. The the concept is that learning is possible for every single human, right? And in, in the absence yeah. of, you know, some type of, you know, neurological disorder, uh, given enough time and in the right environment, really any brain should be able to learn new tasks, new information. And that's the growth mindset that if you just believe that learning can occur, it will. And it, we just have to be patient and do the work. Carol Dweck argued that we need to be very careful about how we communicate learning um, right. to all learners. Because if we were to say to a, a young student, oh, you're really smart, right? You're really sure. good at this. Too early, they may create a fixed mindset where they think that intelligence is a fixed trait and not something to be gained. Um, the, right. the kid that's told they're smart too early, when stuff is hard later, and it will be because learning is hard, when they don't pick up something easily, their whole identity <laughs> might get shattered for one because uh, they've been told they're smart their whole life. They will stop approaching learning as if it were a process and instead they think it's a trait that they're either smart or not. And that goes with everything, right? Bas if you're you're a great basketball player, you're a great everything. So there's a little bit of danger and too much praise. If we use if we give the wrong kind of praise, if we tell people if somebody's starting an IV for the first time and they're just like for some reason they have nice kinesthetics for it, and you tell them, Oh, you're just a natural at that, it feels good to them in the moment, but later it may be a little destabilizing when they come across something that's difficult and going to take more time to grow that skill set. Yeah, no, you absolutely nailed it. That's exactly the impression I got out of it. I think the only thing I can add to it is that, you know, the difference between growth and fix is that with growth mindsets, you take challenges as an opportunity to learn. You look forward to it. If it is hard or challenging or even failures, right? With growth mindsets, you are okay with failures because you know that that failure is going to catapult your learning faster than anything else mm -hmm. versus a fixed mindset person. And, and the story that Carol Dweck used in the book that really stuck with me, you think about this natural athlete, right? So you got this, this young kid that's playing a sport and, um, you know, he or she is so naturally talented within their high school, it, it, you know, they're all varsity and, and they're going to get a ride to the college. But in the environment they were in, they stood out. But as soon as they went to the next level, they've never had to really work and grind through adversity. So at the college level, then they wash out and everybody's surprised. Well, why did they, you know, why they wash out? We thought they were going to go the whole way. It's because of that mindset, you know, you know, by telling them you are a natural versus, hey, this is going to take a lot of hard work or with accomplishments. Uh, hey, I'm proud of you. I know that took a lot of work to get that A or to get that 100 on the test or I hate to learn this skill. We want to praise effort mm -hmm. more than uh, natural talent because the issue with natural talent is talent alone is not going to take you to the professional, to the top of the game. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of other books that we can talk about what's really needed, you know, to go to the top of the game. But 
that book had an influence on me, how I teach, how mm-hmm. I talk to myself, how I think of myself, and then more importantly, how I parent. I uh, really have taken a lot of these lessons and try to apply it, you know, to my children. Well, we'll see how successful I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've said before, you praise the process, not the person. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, for I me, mean, since this is a medic podcast, um, mm-hmm. think about how you treat your ride-alongs or your, you know, your students or the new employee. Okay, they don't know something, so teach them. And here's Dr. Dorsett. If a new paramedic were listening or one of your graduates from your program where you teach, if you were to gift them a book, what's the what's the one book you would send them, do you think? Can I cheat and exclude my graduates because I make all my graduates read this book? Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the book would be Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. And this is a medical book, but it's really a book about humanism and connection. And the reason I would also gift the book rather than have them read it. And then this year we actually, normally our class just has the book and then, you know, they turn it in like a textbook. And this year we just were like, we're just going to like give it to everybody. Just keep your book because every time I read it, I get something else out of it. I want to hear kind of the why, what's so important inside that book. But before you answer that, I want to hover around and talk about Atul Gawande because I think he is the perfect author for a new paramedic to read. He's a really good storyteller. There's a book called Complications, and then he has another one called Better. And in both of those, each chapter is usually a different case and really captivating. It's the medical memoir genre, but it has a point, right? It's not just stories. They all kind of share a common theme. And Complications is the one. I, If I were going to, and I have gifted this book to new paramedics, I loved Complications. And it it got me back into reading that. And then and there's another book called Stiff by Mary Roach. <laughs> I totally read that book. It, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And those two books combined, they're just really good authors. Atul Gawande writes for The New Yorker. Like They're just good writers. So I would also gift an Atul Gawande book, but a different one, the Complications book. The person who's probably gifted me the most books in my adult life is actually my mother-in-law who gifted me complications and turned me on to Atul Gawande. But Being Mortal is my favorite of all his books. So the reason I read Being Mortal is I'd read, he also wrote something called The Checklist Manifesto. And Being Mortal came out when I was in residency. So I was on an educational elective or something. So in residency, I felt like I didn't have as much time to read, although I still read some. And It really spoke to me because at that point, I would say that I was probably in one of my more negative uh, spaces in my career. You know, I had three kids when I started residency and I felt sort of really stressed out and guilty all the time. And on top of that, I think in emergency medicine, um, it's easy to get in this rut where you just feel like People come in, you do the thing, they go out, um, and sometimes you feel like you do things to people, not for people. And I just had lost, not lost, but the joy of medicine, I think, was a little distant at the time. Um, When I read this book, the first time I read this book, so the first lessons that I got out of it, it really talked about what what is it that makes life worth living for people, So from a clinical perspective, this was really useful to me. 
as far as finding a way to connect with my patients as humans and having conversations about their value so I could provide as much as possible really, you know, you know, we talk about evidence-based practice as being like all research-based, but the third tenet of it is actually patient values. And so this question that comes up in this conversation with this palliative care doctor of what is it that makes life worth living as a guiding principle in the care you provide was really useful. And I've used it in my clinical care ever since. But that same question um, made me sort of reflect on my own life (laughs) and think about what was it that was most important to me? Because I think it's really easy to get into the grind of work and I have to get these projects done and I have to get all this other stuff done. And in the book, when this palliative care doctor asked her father what it was that made life worth living for him, he said, eating ice cream and watching baseball, you know, like these are the things like if I could do that, I'd be happy. I don't think you can read this book and not reflect on what your answer would be to that question. And I realized that my answer to that question was, I just want to be able to see my kids grow up and participate meaningfully in their lives. And I realized that's not how I was ordering my priorities. Um, That's not how I was making my decisions. That book really changed that. I'm definitely like not perfect. And I, I think like far from perfect. I don't necessarily have this great balance and I still like work a ton, but it helped me get to the point where when I am choosing work or having work instead of family time, that I do it for the joy of what I do for a living and with recognition of what that trade-off is. And I look at things from the perspective of that trade-off. I've learned a lot of things from this book, like subsequent years, but I think that that was the first lesson and that's why I found it so meaningful. Medic Mindset is supported by educational tech company, iSimulate. Their partnership allows me to keep the full library of episodes available to you on multiple platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you listen. I'm so thankful for their continued support. I personally use their products in my classroom, and I'm proud to call them a partner. Thank you, I simulate.